welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 283, Top 10 Board Game Artists. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode, but especially Francesco, who upgraded his membership. Thanks so much, my friend. You rock. All right, Anthony, we are back with a surprising top 10 that I can't imagine in what's going to be seven years of podcasting we never covered. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting that on you because this is like your thing, right? <laughs> like every review we do, especially back when we used to review the same games, it was like, sure. all right, artwork section, just put it on the spreadsheet. Chris, That's go. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the top 10 board game artists and we'll talk a little bit more about how we frame that at the feature review but yeah i mean board game art the graphic design all of the artistry that goes into the design the playing of the game it really does evoke a whole world and especially if you're sitting down for a game that is you know one to two to three or four hours artwork really brings the experience to you and it's also something really nice to look at when you're playing a game Ah, uh, take that, those 18 double X people with their spreadsheet. Hey now. Hey now. Come on. <laughs> some of those some of those look pretty good. I don't want to hear it. That that's just come on. Yeah, they're they're starting to, they're they're just barely starting to come around, but yeah. We'll, Man, we'll get to that. Get out of here. Get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> we'll see how many of them made the list. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, that's a different thing. So <laughs> <laughs> But before we go into that, there's so much going on with BGA. Anthony, why don't you give us an update? All right, yeah. Uh, we mentioned last week and the week before and the week before that. Please join us on Patreon. We've got our uh, collection episodes up. Uh, I just posted my volume three a couple days ago, so you can check that out. That is the third of presumably hundreds. I don't even know <laughs> how many episodes we're going to do. I think I did the math ones, and it's like around 40, 30 to 40. So wow. we'll be doing this for a while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're, we're going through each of our collections individually, uh, maybe 15 or so games every week, and just going back and forth. So last week was Chris's volume three. This week was mine. On Sunday or Monday this coming week, you'll catch Chris with volume four. Yay! <laughs> And, you know, obviously we, you know, not going to list every game that's on there, but it's kind of part of the fun. It's just like what games are on there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so you get access to all of those episodes, plus all of our old bonus episodes where we went through our early reviews. We did some rundowns of like our favorite games from certain designers, specific themes, games from around the world. Lots of cool stuff. That's all on Patreon for backers at the five dollar level or higher. So if you back at any of those levels and up, um, you'll get those. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to put together. So hopefully you guys enjoy them. Yeah, and as they go on, they will get more grandiose and at the same time, more self-loathing because there's a lot of games <laughs> with a lot of miniatures that are coming up on upcoming reviews. So when I get to one of my closets that has all the miniatures that never got played, yeah, stuff's going to get real, real quick, my friend, real quick. Oh, man. Yeah, I was excited this last one. I just recorded it on sunday and i was like there's 20 games here there's only four of them that i haven't played like that's great <laughs> and i'm like Ugh. is that great is it great that only 
at any point in time at least 20% of your games you haven't played. <sighs> but yeah, I'll keep a running tally for you guys every week. <laughs> this week it was eight. I'm real sad. <laughs> I don't even count. I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> this one looks a little shinier than the others. It seems like there's a plastic film over it. That can't be. I must have played that. No, no, yeah. say it's not so. <laughs> So we'll be going through our complete collections from now to Doomsday. So please stick with us. Hopefully these episodes are as much fun for you as they are for us. And we're glad to get those out there. So new episodes every week. Stick with us and let us know what you like to hear. So Anthony, that's what's going on with BGA. But what's going on with the rest of the board gaming industry? Yeah, I mean, this week was the uh, announcement of the winners of the Spiel des Jahr and the Kenner Spiel des Jahr Awards. And... They do this every year and we all get all hyped up and there's only three nominees for each of these awards, which were announced way back in the spring. So for the Spiel des Jahres, it was Pictures, My City, and Nova Luna, which I reviewed last week, I think, or the week before. Kenner Spiel was The Crew, King's Dilemma, and Cartographers. So Mm -hmm. I had not played, at the time I had played none of the Spiel des Jahres nominees. I've now played one of them. Two of them aren't even out here yet. So My City doesn't, it comes out at the end of the month. And then the Kennerspiel winners, I have all three, and I love all three of them. So I was like, I don't care which one wins, but it should be the crew. But I don't care. So so it's always fun to kind of see how this plays out. And as they often do in off years when we don't have like a mega game that's just going to easily win it, uh, the Spiel des Jahres went to the game that nobody's heard of. (laughs) Because that's what they do. So some years you have games like a King Domino or an Azul, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. obviously that's going to get it. Let's just all go home. That's easy, right? (laughs) But then this year, it was three games that I hadn't heard of or weren't out yet. And yeah, the one that they gave it to is the one that's basically Pictionary, but with sticks and rocks. So (laughs) I I haven't played it, so I don't know. Maybe it's great, but it just looks like Pictionary with sticks and rocks. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it's challenging. I mean... their awards are always interesting because you can never fully predict. Like you said, even though there's sometimes big games coming out certain years, there's always dark horses. They don't seem to go with the, I guess the necessarily the public opinion. They have their own opinion and they have their own interesting selection of nominees too, on top of which. So their awards are always the most interesting this year. It seems to be stuff that was left over in a gym locker. So yeah, pictures was odd. I never heard of it. I haven't played any of the nominees, unfortunately. Maybe it's very good. Again, it looks like a box with random pieces in it. And the uh, Kinderspiel, the, the children's one, was a tennis ball, right? That, yeah. that was a game about a tennis ball? Yeah, it was like Hedgehog Rule, I think they called it. <laughs> and so the Kinderspiel, every year I've never heard of any of them because the children's game market is so tight that they only really bring over the games that they know they can sell. And Mm -hmm. they print so many of these things in Germany that it's pretty rare that they nominate anything outside of Germany. They do sometimes, but like Ice Cool a few years ago, that was a game from outside of Germany. And we'd obviously heard of it and played it. But this year, yeah, Hedgehog Roll. It is a little red tennis ball that you roll around and it picks up leaves and sticks and stuff. Mm -hmm. What's what's the deal with the sticks and leaves (laughs) and rocks? What's going on with that? Uh, I think they're looking at the end of the world and what games could you make out of random stuff that you find? 
So, yeah. And then the crew, right? The Kenderspiel. I love the crew. Yeah, the, the Kenderspiel. Yeah, this one's fantastic. I mean, I said, the first time I played this, I said it should win the Spielless Yar. It mm-hmm. wasn't nominated for that. They deemed it too complicated. Mm. You know, I don't agree, but, you know, the Spielless Yar committee's thresholds are much lower than mine. But it won the Kenderspiel, which is great because this game is fantastic. Everybody should play it. And now they all will because it just won an award. <laughs> so, um, and that's not to say the other two games aren't great. We haven't played them. We make fun a little just because it's fun. But hopefully they're good when they come over, which they will now. Yeah, I really just hope that one day, and I'm, I'm still very surprised by this, of, of all people that they don't have a category for heavy games. And I don't mean, you know, 18 double X. I mean, just heavy games, like just solid, maybe a worker placement, you know, something on a 3.5 arc, right? Or, I mean, there's a lot of great European German board games. And it doesn't seem like any of their awards the last couple of years or decade or so has been a solid German board game as typically we know them. Yeah, it's funny, too, because every now and then they'll nominate a heavier game. Like they nominated Terraforming Mars for the Kennerspiel. And we were all confused. We we're like, don't you normally That's nominate lighter games than that? And it didn't win because it's too heavy. But yeah, it was uh, it did get a nomination, which is funny. But yeah, it, these <laughs> these games do tend to tilt lighter, which makes sense. It's all meant to be like family ish type of stuff. But uh, yeah, where's the big heavy one? I mean, you these know? these these are the Germans. They know their games. They they invented these games. So I really just want to see a proper representation, not just a kind of a one off or a random. They hit their foot in the middle of the night kind of thing. I mean, even Terraforming Mars is a little odd for them, too. I mean, their games from Germany usually are, you know, German precision, <laughs> you know, like tight as can be. So I don't know, maybe one day. But until then, that's why we're here. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's seemingly going on in our industry right now. Let's get on to the things that are going on with our listeners. What's our question of the week? Question of the week right now is, what game surprised you so far the most in 2020? So, and I asked this as like a addendum to another question. Uh, what is your game of the year so far for people? Mm. Which, there weren't a ton of answers for that because there haven't really been that many releases so far. So a couple people mentioned Nova Luna, a couple people mentioned the crew quest for planet nine. Um, several people reminded everybody and mentioned on Mars, which I forget that that's a 2020 release because it came out like the first week of the year, but that's an important one. Uh, so, so a lot of good stuff, but not a huge amount of stuff because mm-hmm. you know, pandemic, right? Yeah. Uh, so then I asked what game surprised you the most because slightly different, right? Um, Martin mentioned My City, which is the other Spiel nominee from Reiner Knizia that hasn't been released yet. It's come, it was supposed to come out at Gen Con, so they're shipping it at the end of this month. I think mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble has it. He played it on the Virtual Gaming Con, BGG's thing, so sure. was very impressed with it. Played the first episode, looking forward to playing more. That's an episodic game, so it's interesting. Scott mentioned It's a Wonderful World, which is oh. a drafting game that I've heard a lot about and have not had a chance to play it yet because I think this one also came out right before the pandemic. So just never got a chance to see it. Yeah, I played it. It's it's a good game. It's card drafting and then trying to hit the right things at the right time kind of situation. Think think Seven Wonders. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Slightly different theme, obviously. 
Tom mentioned Isle of Cats, which I think <laughs> I think I agree I never, because hold on a I backed this on never, a large. Okay, okay, okay. What? <laughs> I, I'm just never going to stop laughing at that game. I'm sorry. It's just never going to stop happening. Uh, it's it's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Enjoy it's enjoy good, your Isle of Cats. Go ahead. But it's a good game. That's the thing. That's why it's so surprising. Remember, this is the most surprising games of the year. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> I think. I was also surprised. I was like, oh, it's a tile lane game. It's polyominoes with cats, right? It's cute, whatever. But it's actually really good because it is also a drafting game. And there are dozens of cards in the game that you have to manipulate. And you're basically building an engine out of all the cards that you draft as to what the cats will actually do when you place them. So (laughs) it's not that funny. (laughs) I'm look, I haven't played it. So I'm not saying it's a bad game. I'm just saying it's it looks ridiculous, but that's fine. (laughs) oh man all right moving on from cats chad mentions pan am uh from prospero hall and i think i would just go on and mention just the whole funko prospero hall lineup because they dumped a whole bunch of games on target like all at once and from what i've seen they're all generally pretty good so i haven't had a chance to play them but it's i was surprised and it shouldn't be that surprised they paid a lot of money for that company but sure it's cool to see that it's not just more throwaway junk. Yeah. I mean the Godzilla game too, which I hear is very good. I haven't played it yet. Haven't, you know, risked going out to target to pick up anything at this point, but yeah, I mean, they've brought out solid, solid games and I mean, they're the most surprising company so far this year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would have been interested to see what they had on tap for gen con if nothing sure. else like just for announcements and stuff yeah unfortunately that shall not be and these announcements kind of just go out into the ether now so who knows um <laughs> and then because it's 2020 and because we've all been home playing games online a whole bunch of people just mentioned other older games that they've discovered through hmm. digital platforms so awesome several people mentioned uh David mentioned Spirit Island um, through Steam. Francesco mentioned Russian Railroads. Um, right. We had several people mention the crew, uh, but not necessarily just physical. There's an online version of that as well. So I know a lot of people, including myself, there's a few games I've picked up just playing online, uh, are discovering games they never would have played otherwise, including ones that are out of print. So maybe those ones will come back now if enough people played them online. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think this has been an odd mix, and I, and I think this is going to be an odd year overall based upon what can actually come out this year and what can people get to their table. And obviously, can they get a group together to play those games? I guess for me, the game that I knew was coming out, I got to play before 2020. I think we already mentioned On Mars. So I think that's a solid, solid game. Even at PAX Unplugged, there were so many great games there, but on Mars was just substantially more impressive than almost anything there. I mean, and it was, that's, that's a high bar. There was a very high bar there. I guess the game that really surprised me this year has been Sanctum. And mostly because again, it looked like it was going to be just a Diablo mock-up throwaway kind of game. And when you have a giant dragon demons head on the cover, you're like, Oh, it's one of those games. It's just going to be another, you know, Marathrash game with like maybe two mechanics tops and then we're just going to pass on. But it's actually been a very solid game. And uh, yeah, that's that's been my surprise for this year. 
All right, so that's everything that's happening with our listeners. If you would like to join the ever-growing number of people getting games to the table or just share your interesting almost getting to the tables, please find us on all of our social media platforms. There are so many. We talk about them all the time. Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Honestly, one of the best websites you're ever going to find for board gaming out there. Instagram, YouTube. I bet you didn't know we had a YouTube channel, unless you're probably listening to this podcast on YouTube. But check us out. Subscribe there. And again, thank you to absolutely everyone out there who's listening this week. It means a lot to us. I know we're all going through a difficult time. And it means so much to us to have you listen and to let other people know about the podcast. So thanks again. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with us. Let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All righty. So three years ago, you and I sat down to demo a game. Oh my God. And <laughs> it was one of the worst demos we'd ever had in our lives. It was, it was. just, it was a nightmare. Uh, it was the first PAX, the very first one. And it was the new Civilization board game, A New Dawn. And I really, really wanted to try it out. And they had a few demo tables and we ran over and we sat down and we played it. And the guy was not quite paying attention, ran through a bunch of rules, didn't actually check if we knew what we were doing. We did three turns, literally did nothing. And then he said, all right, that's it. <laughs> and then we walked away being like, what the heck was that? <laughs> so Civilization and New Dawn almost never entered my collection because of that horrible demo. Thankfully, it did because I really enjoy this game. It is a clever, quick uh, spin on the Civilization genre. And the the way the cards work and the different technologies and kind of how you take actions on your personal little tableau of cards is really cool. Um, the reason the game didn't have any solid staying power is because there aren't that many cards. There aren't that many victory conditions. And some of the elements of the game didn't feel fully fleshed out, right? Like the military components just really weren't there. It was more of like a, sure. a land grabby type of thing. You only had the one little unit moving around in a couple cities that you throw down. So it didn't have all four of the X's, you know, for it to be a full on civilization game. And from day one, I said, this needs an expansion. This needs an expansion and fantasy flight being owned by Asmodee and changing leadership. And I was like, it's never going to happen, but it's happening. I don't know why. Maybe someone who works there now likes it, but I'm happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so fantasy flight announced in a live stream of a few days ago, Terra Incognito is a, an expansion for this coming out whenever because who knows it's fantasy flight this is going to add a whole bunch of new stuff we have all sorts of new materials and different things that are kind of build up the mechanics in the game a little bit more than they used to so new forms of government a little bit more going on with the combat elements uh new leaders to play with so you have double the number of civilizations that you can play as they are adding a fifth player because you know <laughs> Ah, it's, look, it's the bane of Anthony's existence. Yeah. Player. That's okay. It's my game. I just won't bring it with me. <laughs> Someone's like, oh, no, that plays five now. And like, ah, I left those components at home. I'm sorry. Aww. And it's just so other than that, everything else sounds amazing. And I know that like they've tweaked a few things. Like I know the flight mechanic. If you got the flight technology in the first version of a game, you were pretty powerful. There's not much anybody could do about that. Now there's ways to kind of combat that. Uh, so I'm pretty excited. They haven't released a ton of information outside of that live stream. And it's all we know is that it exists. And there's a page up on the uh, 
fantasy flight website running through the mm-hmm. basics, but it seems to cover all the bases I wanted more variety, but also a few tweaks to the things that didn't quite work. I'm excited for it. Hopefully it comes out soon. And hopefully when it does come out, I'll be able to leave the house and play it with people. <laughs> so uh, that is civilization, a new dawn Terra incognito. We should mention that the packs that you were talking about was the first packs unplugged just because it seems like it's been multiple civilizations. <laughs> we actually played that. I think, what was that? Three years ago? Maybe yeah, four was, now at this point? No, it's 2017, yeah. Yeah. You know, as, as you mentioned, it was it was the most underwhelming demo I've ever experienced. And I've experienced a lot of demos. And this game has, I think, since gone up for like major discount sales at some point, maybe about six to nine months ago, they, they, they were just kind of dumping this. So I am completely shocked that they're coming out with an expansion here. I mean, I looked at it to pick it up at discount and I'm like, but there really isn't enough in the game. And since they were dumping it, I just, I don't know what they're doing. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is great. I mean, if you have the game or if you picked it up on sale, I mean, this is a godsend because this is, you know, again, we haven't played the expansion yet looking forward to it, but this could just make it into like a great civilization game. So yeah, kudos, man. Good job. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all for this. And it's, Hopefully it's kind of like the first Sid Meier civilization that they did where the base game was fine. Not great. They released two expansions for that. And if you combine all that stuff together, it's amazing. So I'm hoping for the same thing here. Yeah. I mean, they were just obviously looking to make a shorter game that you can actually play at the table within a reasonable amount of time, but maybe went a little too far. So maybe they'll put some of that back. All right. So I want to talk about another game that hopefully you still have in your collection because this is another really surprising expansion that nobody was expecting this is photosynthesis under the moonlight move your chosen animal through the forest to collect light from both sun and moon so if you remember photosynthesis it's all about growing trees and scoring points larger the tree the more points you score in order to grow those trees and place or plant better trees out there you need sunlight so Now that you have your woodland creatures helping you out, you'll be able to, I guess, supercharge what you're doing. Um, What's also interesting about this expansion under the moonlight is that there's actually a moon. So if you haven't played photosynthesis, you'll notice, or maybe just from seeing the picture, you have the trees in the middle. And on the edge, there is this really kind of odd geometric shape of a sun. And the idea is that whatever that sunlight's hitting you know, those particular trees, they gain those points or, you know, sunlight in order to grow other trees. So those become your action points. Anything behind those trees do not get that. So it's a very, you know, tight competition for space, which is also fairly representative of what, you know, nature and what the forest goes through. But now you're going to have a moon that's going to be in the opposite side of the sun and it's going to cast moonlight across the woods. So if by chance you got caught up, you know, on the other side, typically you're not doing too much and it's really kind of a bad turn for you. So this allows more things to happen and kind of keep you engaged and you'll be actually collecting lunar points for their new forest animals and then you'll be able to activate new powers, which is also very cool because otherwise it was it was a very straight on abstract game. There's eight different animals in the game. The boar collects trees. The hedgehog plants seeds. The fox steals and moves seeds around. That's That seems like a fox. 
And the owl turns uh, lunar points into solar points or sun points. So again, by moving your animal throughout, especially in the moonlight areas, you're going to score additional points. So this seems wonderful because photosynthesis, while it's, I think if I remember correctly, Anthony, way back when this won our best, you know, components in a game mm-hmm. and uh, it was well-deserved, but again, it was a very strong, you know, straightforward abstract. So this really adds a lot more to it. Yeah, it's a funny game because when it came out, I really quite enjoyed it. Like, I liked the idea of it. I didn't mind that it was kind of mean. I don't always like those kind of mean games, but it was an abstract game. It wasn't, that's they're supposed to be mean. Sure. But for whatever reason, at a certain point, I couldn't get it to the table anymore. People didn't want to play it. It just, I don't know if it got samey or people didn't like the meanness of it because they thought it should be more board gamey. Or it was just a little too much mechanically for what was, at the end of the day, just abstract. But I actually got rid of my copy because I just, I think the third or fourth time I brought it and nobody wanted to play, I was like, all right, it's gone. <laughs> so. Aw. Yeah, I still have my copy. And as you mentioned, it, it did become a little samey after a while. And it is kind of cutthroat. So I think this expansion will kind of open it up a little bit more. All right, so that's everything that we want at our table. Let's get on to the games that did hit the table, and we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up, if those games are a play, and you should sit down and play them, if those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs, or if those games are the dreaded burn and you should give them away as quickly as possible, as quickly as Anthony did with photosynthesis. So, Anthony, what do you have for us this week? All right, I have a... A flick and write game. Okay. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, it is a <laughs> thing. They made it up. You... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love when somebody makes up a whole new, not a whole new genre. They're just jamming them together, but they're like really proud of it. Like written all the way across the back. Flick and write. Uh, so this is called Sonora. It's from Pandasaurus Games and designer Rob Newton. And it is exactly as it sounds. You have five discs, you flick them onto the board every round, and then based on where you flick them, you will write stuff on your personal board, uh, as you would in a roll and write, and you try to score points that way. That's basically it. The the board itself, it comes in a self-contained little plastic, has a rim around it. It So the box has very few components in it, to the point where you're like, really? But it needs to because this board is relatively big and it's like inside of a frame so it has to stay that way um and the price is relatively okay i think it's like 30 or 35 dollars so it's not a crazy amount for the game it's kind of in that roll and write territory like a welcome to price just a bigger box the actual mechanics of this there are four different areas where you can write stuff down one of them is cross out all the spaces in these individual chunks the first person gets some points the second person gets slightly fewer points pretty basic another one is you based on the number of the disc that lands in that area you will draw a little polyomino on this giant mazy grid and then you score points based on how many cactus icons you circle Uh, there's another one where it's like a river and you total up the numbers on the dice and you move down the path and at the end of it you circle the number and all the circled numbers you add up, those are your points. And then the last one is this big grid where you cross different cross sections off. And then when you've crossed two off that are connected, you draw a line between them. And you're trying to enclose spaces to score points. So 
it seems really simple. And it, it kind of is. Like, I got this because I thought, oh, this would be fun for the kids. But running through it solo, it's a little more complicated than it seems. It's There's some tweaky rules for each of the four sections. Um, there are multiple places you can flick to on the board. There's some special bonus spaces on the board as well that allow you to split up your numbers or double an individual disc. You can flick other people's stuff out of the way because it is a flicking game. And all of this adds up to a fair amount of thinking you have to do on each of your turns of where you want things to go and how you're going to do it, what you want to try to go for and race for and fight for. Only the one section on your board is actually um, competitive with other players. The other three, you just do your own thing. And the one is like you race to get there first and get the bonuses. So it's not hugely interactive, except for the part where you can knock each other's discs out of the way. But it's just enough to make it more engaging than a typical roll and write. Um, this is the reason I like cartographers so much is that it's you flip the cards and you write like normal. But when those monsters come out, you give your sheet to someone else and they mess it up, which is really cool. <laughs> this one no one's messing up your sheet or your board, but they can knock your disc out of the way. They're like, oh, you wanted that double? Well, not anymore, <laughs> you know? So you kind of have to be careful when you aim for things and how you aim for things and, and all that. I, I rather enjoyed it. It's a little too complicated, I think, for my kids at this point. Uh, just combining the dexterity with all the you know strategy elements. But for what it is, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it'd be a little bit lighter and a little bit simpler than what it came out to be. And I don't know. I think it's cool. And I think more flick and write type of games would be fine. You know, give me a the flick them up, roll and write, whatever, whatever the heck you want to call that. <laughs> or a catacombs uh, writing game or something like that. I think that'd be pretty cool. So I give this one a play. Uh, it's not like the most amazing roll and write type of game I've ever played. Like the actual scoring mechanics on your board are fine. They're not amazing. But the idea even to combine that with the flicking it's it's really solid. So I'm glad I have it. I'll definitely play it a bunch. And yeah, it's well worth checking out. That is Sonora. It's a very unusual looking game. And I, I really like the artwork here. And it's obviously representative of the uh, the area of Mexico. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. Flicking right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a sm- the thing, too, is like you think dexterity game and I'm horrible at dexterity games. Yeah. But the space in which you're flicking is pretty small. So sure. as long as you don't flick too hard and knock it out of the thing, which then you lose that disc for that round, which is not good. It's really not that hard to get it kind of where you want it to be. It's just a matter of interacting with other players in between. So, yeah, it's it was surprisingly good for what it is. <laughs> I didn't expect to get this much. And if it had cost more, I probably wouldn't have checked it out. But, you know, 25 bucks. I was like, yeah, I'll give this a go. And yeah, I'm glad I did. Hmm. It's It's kind of like a mini crokinole at least with the, yeah. the middle spot there so yeah that's pretty neat and something different i don't think i've ever seen anything like that before all right so i got an expansion to the table myself i was able to get paperback unabridged to the table with the family now i don't happen to be a fan of spelling games or even word games in general and we've reviewed paperback way back in 2017 and then it's kind of spiritual successor hardback. When you back the Kickstarter for hardback, there was an option to actually get the expansion for paperback. Now, paperback has seen some table time and I enjoyed it. But then when hardback came out, it kind of replaced it for me. If you haven't played paperback, 
it's all about spelling words using these different cards that have special abilities. And as you spell the words, you get money from certain letters. And then you take that money to the offering, the, the cards out there on the market. You purchase new letters to put in your deck. And then it becomes basically a deck builder a la Dominion, pretty much in a nutshell. As you're building up your value of your cards and you're getting more money, then eventually at some point you buy the victory point cards or the prestige cards in this, in this case. And that's going to enter your deck. So you have to be really careful Dominion style when you switch over from, you know, pumping out stuff as far as the machine's concerned and when you need to kind of switch over to getting those bonus cards. But that was pretty much it as, as far as the game is concerned. And as I said, hardback kind of came around and then it was like, well, I have hardback now and paperback. It kind of did its thing, but it really didn't do much else. But with the expansion here on a bridge, it does add a lot more to the basic paperback game. And again, I was able to get this with family. So that was surprising because I have a lot of Scrabble players in my family. And typically when we play word games, I typically get crushed because I have some hardcore word fans in my family, a lot of wordsmiths. So I wanted to get something to the table that they would like, but at the same time, what I had found with paperback and with hardback was that these were games that gave me a fighting chance. In fact, I won a third of the time, so I'm feeling pretty solid about that. So first up in this expansion, which is 80 cards, you're going to get lowercase cards. So these are not anything radically special, but basically the idea is that these lowercase cards are going to allow you to do a set collection situation. So if you get a lowercase W and you pick other W cards up in the deck, at the end of the game, you see how many Ws you've collected and you score victory points with that. Again, this is a great new mechanic because set collection is always a lot of fun. It does play out in a lot of deck building games and it doesn't allow the game to kind of become stagnant with those, just those victory point cards. You can now score victory points in a different way. So it's a really, really great touch. There's also new starting wild cards in the game. So when you play the original paperback, there's going to be five cards in your deck and they're going to give you a wild letter, so to speak. And then you're going to score victory points for it at the end of the game. But that's pretty much it. They're just a wild. They're a nuisance until you score them at the end of the game. And basically, since everyone has the same starting hand, you're not really getting much out of that starting hand. These new starting wild cards actually state on each individual card, if you use a certain vowel, and it happens to be that card, you're going to get a special bonus ability from that card. So now it does matter where you play what special ability card. Also, it's just going to add, again, a lot more dimension to the game that wasn't there you know, previously. In addition, there's new common cards. These common cards that you use in paperback are basically cards that everyone can use. So you're going to get the U and Y. Didn't have that previously, so some new words in the game. There's new fame cards. This is just new artwork, and they vary the victory points a little bit. So instead of having an individual deck for each victory point category, you kind of smush them together into three categories, which allows you to pick out how long of a game you want to play, because typically once two packs run out, that's the end of the game. So you could put the lower victory point amounts, which means the cards are cheaper. You could pick the higher ones in that range, or you can kind of mix them up and 
kind of like, oh, that was a three, and now it, the next one costs five. Wow, that's a little bit tougher. So it just kind of adds a little more to the game. There's asterisk cards that will actually have two letters, but now it's one letter and asterisk, so you can use two letters to build your word, just use the one letter or such. So that's kind of fun. Uh, there's typo cards. This is one of the little mini modules to this expansion that I don't really care for. Basically, typo cards go out there in the offering as you pick up cards throughout the game. You also pick up typos. These are negative points at the end of the game. I like the idea of negative points, but basically what you're doing now is you're now forced at some point to spell a word with that typo. It passes the negative off to someone else, and now they have to deal with it. And then when the game comes to an end, whoever has the typos are stuck with negative victory points. I just don't like it because it's kind of too random. It's, it's kind of musical chairs, and that's not really fun and kind of a, I wouldn't say heavy, but a, a really interesting kind of card game here. There's a dumpster diving mechanic where you go through the trash cards and pick out a card. Eh, it just adds more time to the game. Not a big, you know, big fan overall. And then there is a kind of like a super card, which has three letters on it. Um, those are pretty good. They're a little more challenging. They think, you know, hardback with these kind of three letters on them. So you can put them in your deck. If you can pull out a word, great. But there is also a drawback, which is there's a three-letter card there. So in all, Paperback Unabridged really does update Paperback into a much better game. I, I think that just the small inclusions of a couple of these modules really updates the game. So, you know, just add the lowercase cards. Now you, you, you are concerned about what you're collecting. Add the new wild cards. That gives you something more to do with that starting hand, but it doesn't require you to do those things. And that's what I really like about an expansion. It's additive, but it doesn't force you to do anything. So I'm going to give Paperback Underbridge Expansion a buy. Yeah, I had this for a bit, and I liked it a lot, actually. I thought it was a really good expansion. And I kind of reached that point, though, that despite how much I was like, this adds a lot to the game, it makes it much better, I still was only playing hardback. And which is, you know, and the funny thing is, is when people ask me, which game should I get if they're thinking of the two? I'm like, probably Paperback. I mean, it's simpler it's more accessible you can play it with your family uh, hardback's a little bit more gamery but i like it better personally because it's more sure. gamery and <laughs> so i kept it and i got rid of paperback so <laughs> you've got a one-two punch with me today of games i got rid of <laughs> I tell you. all right so that's everything for at the tables now on to our feature review so for our feature review this week we're looking at the top 10 board game artists you know those wonderful pieces of, of art that are on your board game box, in all your cards, on your boards, and just, just kind of the wonderment of the graphic design and the beautiful, engaging, wondrous worlds that they create. Now, we should preface before we get into the top 10 artists here is that, of course, artwork is subjective. So I'm sure many, many wonderful artists that did not make our top 10 are still deserving to be on the top 10, but maybe we haven't come across them or maybe it's just not our artwork. In addition to that, we also want to mention the CCGs. CCGs, collectible card games, have a tremendous amount of artwork, often from numerous, numerous, numerous designers and artists out there. So we could never possibly 
pull all of them into any kind of list whatsoever. So with that said, we're going at the top 10 board artists, and in particular, those artists who have produced art on multiple games. Not just one game, maybe had a one-off kind of situation, but multiple games, and just kind of establish themselves in the industry. What do you think, Anthony, about board game artwork? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it, and I definitely want it to be there. I <laughs> It's a funny thing because it's never okay. been like a, a must have for me. I like you and I will discuss a game that we've both played and there's a lot more emphasis on your end on the aesthetics and the visuals and the graphic design. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is nice to look at. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Wasn't really thinking about it, um, which I guess is how you go down the road of playing, you know, like war games and 18xx and splatter games and not minding that they look kind of meh. But sure. um and at some point even appreciating how they look. But at the same time, when board game artwork is really good, it does elevate the game. I, it does make it better. It makes me want to play it. So sure. and some of these artists on this list specifically have upgraded games or added to them in a way that just makes them pleasant to have out. So it's kind of fun to go through this. Absolutely. I mean, when we're talking about thematic games, artwork plays a big part in providing the emotion, the tension, the environment. I mean, there's just so many different aspects of the board game experience that's provided through the artwork. So these artists are 10 of our favorites, but there's so many more. We are appreciative of every piece of artwork that's out there. All right. So let me start off with number 10. Number 10 is Chris Quillums. Now you probably know Chris from his most recent dramatic work in Coimbra. Coimbra has this really interesting color palette and geometric design on all of the card artwork where you have all these different people from this wonderful Portugal city, but the board and everything to the look of this game just stands out. It's unique. It's fresh. And th the way it's laid out really does give you this kind of inviting sense of this scholarly city out there. He's also done century Gollum edition. This is one of my favorite games, you know, I didn't have a problem with Century Spice Road, but something about the Gollum edition, some something about the wonderful simplicity of the artwork there and the fun that's put into this game by all these different Gollums and different shapes and the inventiveness of all of it, it's just really wondrous. And I went out of my way to get the Gollum edition. I'm sure many of you have as well. And it's all thanks to him. He's also done Arboretum, uh, one of my favorite games of all time, a nice, great, quick card game, but beautiful, beautiful trees. This is the original Arboretum that came out from Z-Man games. And finally, he's done a ton of pandemic games, but specifically, he's done the pandemic legacy season one and season two. So again, a very dramatic artwork there kind of really bringing you into this terrible pandemic situation that you could never possibly imagine unless through his artwork. <laughs> I, I wish I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Chris Quillams has done a wondrous job out there. All right, number nine on the list is Marie Cardouat. Uh If you guys couldn't tell, we're going to butcher some of these names, so that's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> like looking up EGG, it's like, where is this person from? What language? Uh, I feel dumb. But Marie is actually best known for her work on Dixit. She was the original and only artist on the first version of Dixit, which is specifically a game about artwork. It's the entire point of the game is that you're looking at the artwork in the game and trying to find commonalities. And it's just always set the tone for this whole franchise of games of just like these ethereal, strange images that you could never quite nail down. So there's a lot of different Dixit versions out there. She worked on the original one uh, as well as some of the promos. And I believe Odyssey was another one she worked on. So bringing a lot of her unique style to that. Other games that she worked on include Steam Park, which I didn't like very much as a game, but I remember thinking the aesthetic and visuals of that were just striking. <laughs> like these are little robots running around running a theme park. And then and then we held hands, um, which is, again, like the, the artwork on this is very simple and direct, but it just stands out in a way that's unique within the hobby. Honestly, I don't see a lot of games that look like this or play like this. So as a two-player game that you have to work cooperatively, cooperatively and it's about relationships you kind of need artwork that fits that and she definitely hits it so marie definitely makes the list on these uh and it's not just dixit lots of other stuff out there as well our number eight is miguel coimbra now this artwork really stands out for me and it does something that's really really amazing it brings the civilizations to life so you probably know his work from seven wonders and seven wonders duel and before I really got into board gaming as much as I have, I remember just marveling at Seven Wonders and the, and the wonders of the wonders themselves, the wonderful you know artwork on all the different boards, these wonder boards that you could build up, but also all the individual cards. And since you're drafting cards in the game, typically you get to see most of the cards each and every game. And it just wonderful and what a challenge it must have been to produce all those different pieces of artwork in duel i think his game is kind of upped a bit because now he has to do these little small cards so he has to pack a lot in a very small space but again the artwork is fantastic the box covers are amazing and iconic now at this point so i i really love that work i should also mention small world now a very different take so you had a very serious civilization look and now you have small world which is this kind of cartoony otherworldly kind of thing of all these different fantasy creatures but again iconic artwork i mean if you just see one image of one of the random characters in small world you know exactly where it's from i mean it's just beautiful and there's so many small worlds out there right now and it was one of those kind of like games that made it for me because while I do have plenty of war games and battling games, after a while it gets a little tough, you know, just knocking people out, hitting them left and right. And his artwork brought so much joy and fun to the game that, you know, I wasn't didn't mind it too much knocking people out, especially when they're so adorable. Not to mention their giant statues. I have two or four of them. They are fantastic. And Cyclades, again, another kind of historical, mythological look of Greece and all the Greek gods. That is a gorgeous game. If you've not played Cyclades or ever seen it, my friend, go do yourself a favor right now and check that game out. You know, everything about that game, even the inside box cover 
is adorned with his artwork. So tremendous, tremendous work. All right, number seven on the list is Xavier Junefi Duran. And this this individual actually has gone as Nayade on a lot of the games. It actually, I guess, the gnome de plume, but also printed on the box. So if you have a copy of Takedo, you've probably seen that name next to Antoine Bauza's name as the illustrator and artist behind um, that particular game. And I mentioned when we started that artwork is kind of secondary for me a lot of the times, but specifically in Takedo, it's not. Like the whole point of that game is the aesthetic and the theme and the way it just kind of wraps around you and calms you. And that wouldn't work without the beautiful illustrations and the watercolors and everything um, that Xavier does in this game. And he took that same kind of style and a little more uh, pronounced with Seasons as well as uh, Lords of Zidit, the sequel to Seasons. And th- those came out like right around the same time as Takedo. He also worked on Conan, um, Toluva, the deluxe edition. So he's done a lot of work uh, that's a little cartoon, cartoonish. It's always, it feels derivative to say like cartoony, but, you know, not hyper-realistic artwork, but at the same time, very evocative of the themes of the games in which he's working. And I think it works really well and adds to the overall experience of playing those games. Our number six is Andrew Bosley. Now, you know Andrew's work from Everdale, Tapestry, and Mission Red Planet, the second edition. What I really love about his artwork in all three of these games is the idea that there is an other world that seems close enough to home, close enough to reality, and yet at the same time is so whimsical and so magical and yet realistic. You know, it really does feel like it connects. It goes... It's like, yes, this is a normal world. Nope, this is completely outside the mainstream. And then somehow he brings it back. I remember, you know, Mission Red Plant, the second edition coming out and just being so happy because the first edition had been out of print. And looking at this kind of like steampunk 1920s, you know, spaceship kind of design, it was so hip. It was so cool. It really did want me to play the game and especially send those different rockets up each and every turn. That was just so much fun. It really gave this wonderful aesthetic that, you know, Mars had never seen before. Tapestry. Tapestry, again, we're looking at a civilization game that's otherworldly, but yet at the same time, really well grounded. But it, uh, such a warmth to that game. The artwork, the cards, there's so much a part of the game as you're building up your own little civilization and you're putting down those tapestry cards. You get to wonder at them. You get to really kind of like, you know, wonder what that world would be like with this kind of set combinations. And again, finally, and and by no means least, uh, Everdell. Everdell has this wonderful world of these animal critters and their houses and their homes and their worlds they live in. And it's a very lived in world. So it's always kind of surprising when you say, oh, it's these cute animal creatures. It's like, no, these are really truly the inhabitants of this world and everything seems very possible, but yet at the same time, so otherworldly. Number five on the list is Beth Sobel. Uh, Beth has worked on a ton of recent games. Probably the highest profile game that she's worked on is Wingspan. Um, She was one of three illustrators for that game though. So not like a sole illustrator there, but obviously that game is known for its artwork, beautiful renditions of all these birds. 
She's also worked on a lot of other games for specifically Stonemaier Games. Uh, Viticulture, she was one of uh, several artists on that game, as well as Between Two Cities and the expansion for that. She also worked on the second edition of Arboretum, the new one from Renegade with the misspelling on the cards. <laughs> but uh, the artwork itself, the trees are fantastic and beautiful. Uh, Lanterns, the Harvest Festival, Snow Tales, World's Fair 1893, a huge list of games. And the one thing that kind of always comes through in these is that you have these bright, beautiful illustrations that are kind of taken in an entire picture. It's not like one individual doing something. It's always like this sweeping landscape or just trying to capture the beauty of nature in general. Um, one of my favorites that came out a couple years ago is Sunset Over Water, which is a game specifically about an artist going out and painting different things that they see. Uh, and so it, the cards are incredibly important in that because the artwork is a component and mechanic of the game. Um, and it really stands out. So uh, Beth's work is shows up a lot. She's very prolific of in the last few years. And anytime I see her name attached to any game that's upcoming, I know it's going to look good. Our number four is Michael Menzel. You've probably seen his artwork everywhere. He's so prolific and really gives a solid polish to everything he does. His Legends of Andor collection depicting this fantasy world in which you can travel in. Again, it, it would be very simple to kind of provide the standard fantasy artwork that you've seen a hundred, hundred times, but he really does elevate it to such a level that you do feel like you're playing something very special and you do have a, a spot in that world. He's also done Rococo, which is one of my favorite games. And in particular, one of the most challenging games that I got to believe as an artist to put out there because Rococo is all about this fantastic time in history where everything was ornate and everything was beautiful and everything was made to look as wondrous as possible to impress everyone as possible, you know, whether it's decorations or fireworks or dresses or suits. And he had to, you know, imbue that in his artwork on the box cover throughout the game. And he does such a wonderful job there. And it's something that like every time I open that game, I'm always kind of pushed back by because it's just like, wow, this is just, I do feel that elegance that goes along with the game. Also Bruges. Bruges is one of my favorite games. And in particular, the artwork here is wonderful. Again, you're having a game with multiple cards and you're having a whole bunch of options to do with them. But in particular, what's most striking about that is all of these cards that come to your hand, they all have these different visitors, these different professionals and artisans and knights and kings and all these kind of characters. And he really brings to life what would be just ordinary kind of like, oh, here's a standard Joe or a standard Jane. No, it's it, the characters have character. And it's just really wonderful to have. He's, of course, done uh, Dominion and uh, the Pillars of the Earth, both classic games. And again, understated artwork that really does stand out and stand the test of time. All right, number three on the list is Vincent Dutrois. This is, I think, the first time I ever actually paid attention to the artwork in a board game was one of Vincent's games. Uh, it might have been Lewis and Clark, actually, the, Expe the Expedition, which came out like that first year, I think, we were playing hobby board games. And I loved that game. It captured my attention. We had, well, some of us had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> and 
it just part of it was the aesthetic and these just beautiful sweeping uh, illustrations that Vincent did not only on like the box cover and the board, but like every individual card, like the, in, the people which were well-documented in the rule book were brought to life in these very beautiful, um, just, I don't know what the best word for this is, but just, it was like realistic, but not quite of like what he was doing. Like he has a very distinct style when you see it, like, and it really worked for me. Um, and so anytime I see artwork of his, I can instantly recognize it. He did the cover for the new Robinson Crusoe. Uh, he did the second edition of Jaipur, which honestly makes that game look a lot better. <laughs> I love that game, but the, the new edition is much prettier. Quest for El Dorado, the artwork in those cards is fantastic. He's worked on so many different games over the years. Elysium, Broom Service, Medici. The second edition of Medici just looks fantastic, especially compared to the first. And it's just something about the way that those colors come together and those characters just jump off of the cards and off the cover that just makes me want to play his games. So Vincent Dutois, definitely up there on the list for me as one of my favorite artists of all time. Our number two is Xavier Collette. Now, when I first kind of like really, really was first, you know, blown over by artwork, it would, it came from his artwork on Abyss. I remember going to the game store and you see all these games out there and they all have their, you know, names out there. And here was this one game so bold enough that they were like, you know what? The artwork here is so good and so evocative about everything that's inside that it gets the cover and nothing else, nothing at all. So here you had not just one cover design, but you had four. And I remember ordering this online and just, you know, crossing my fingers on getting the design that I really wanted, but not being too worried about it because all four designs were fantastic. And, and Abyss is really known for this. It's known for this wonderful artwork, not just on the box cover, but inside. Again, you're building this wondrous world with these exotic, I would say, alien creatures, but they're oceanatic kind of creatures. And wondrous and beautiful and engaging and dramatic and monstrous all at the same time and it just kind of blew me away and i just love love the artwork in this game not as happy with the actual game i find it's a little light but the artwork is just something to behold so that's why it really stuck in my collection also i love dixit right so originally anthony was already talking about marie and then the first kind of dixit that came out and i liked it but Dixit Journey was really where he kind of outdone himself. Now, I mentioned Abyss had his one piece of artwork of one of these different creatures on four different boxes. Here, it had all of his artwork of all of the cards on the front cover of the box. So you take a look at this front cover of this box and just wonder at all these different art pieces. When you play the game, and, I've, and I own almost everything in Dixit, you can mix all of the cards up from all of the sets and they're all wonderful but it's his cards each and every time that people marvel over and it really is what sets the game apart more than anything else he's also done the artwork for mysterium again kind of dixit journey like but again more mysterious and a little more sinister and again it really gives you that kind of creepy mistake of like these ghostly hauntings my favorite artist as far as anything that has to do in these kind of supernatural or extraordinary or fantasy kind of worlds. 
All right, and then number one, and it could be no one else on Board Gamers Anonymous because these are all the games we love, Ian O'Toole. So Ian O'Toole has become known basically as that guy who illustrates and does design for Euro games. And specifically, big, heavy, long Euro games that are on Kickstarter. <laughs> I don't know what it is add something extra to it, elevates it to a level that Euro games before just hadn't have, you know, like you didn't see this kind of artwork in the typical games that are coming out of Alea or out of Mayfair. They were fine. Like Clemens Franz is, you can see his artwork from a mile away and you know what it is. You know what those games are, but Ian O'Toole just takes it to a whole nother level to the point where his name on a lot of games is a badge of quality. If someone's like, oh, it's Ian O'Toole artwork. Well, I got to check that out. If you look at his games, you know that they all kind of have a similar, I, I won't even say aesthetic because every game's unique, but something about his work jumps off of the board, off of the cards, and you can tell that it's one of his games. And it's not just the artwork on the cards. It's not just like the illustrations on the covers. It's the way the boards are designed. It's the way everything is created in a way that's beautiful. It's fun to look at. It's often like, individual colors there's not a lot of shading there's not a lot of like texture on the board it's i wouldn't i wouldn't want to call it flat but it's just bright and colorful and everything blends together perfectly you get colors you'd never expect to see the you know, pinks and teals and purples and they somehow all work you know black angel is my favorite example of his work not necessarily it's like the best game that he's worked on but it's just such a striking design uh the everything about that like the purple especially there's so much purple and pink imbued throughout that game it just wraps around all the mechanics and the components and really adds something special to that so from a game like irish gauge which is coming from winsome who is known for just ugly ugly games <laughs> and making it look so much better to his most recent work with vital lacerda uh on mars which is just a beautiful spectacular game and the cover especially is just one of the best that I've seen in a long time, you know, tools artwork is rises, you know, just heads and heads and tails above anything else for me personally uh, in the hobby. And yeah, if his name's on a game, I will check it out. I should mention a quick, funny story about that. Lisboa is one of my favorite games of all times, but I have a friend who does not like it at all. He played it twice, even talked to the designer and just could not budge him a bit, but he loved the artwork on the board so much that he actually framed it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all Ian O'Toole. And again, thanks to all the wonderful artists out there. Obviously, we couldn't mention you all, but we really do appreciate all the wonderment you bring to our games. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs> <laughs>